Tonight we're going to continue our study through the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5. Tonight we're going to look at goodness. We've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and now we are looking at goodness. Now most of you know that this has been a hard week for our church. On Saturday morning, the Lord unexpectedly to any of us took Tim Shelton home to himself. And when I began looking at tonight, thinking about Tim, I thought, man, what a fitting characteristic to be scheduled to be looked at this evening, goodness. Because Tim really was a good man. If there's ever an example of goodness in somebody's life, if there's ever a modern day example that was given to us, it was Tim Shelton. But you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I probably would have been saying that no matter what week this had happened. When we talked about the the fruit of the Spirit, because Tim was a man who deeply loved the Lord. He sought after the Lord with everything that he had. And Tim was a man that walked by the Spirit. And as a result, we see that the fruit of the Spirit was produced in his life. And so when we look at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control, those things could be identified within Tim's life, but not because of who Tim was, but because of who the Lord was and what the work the Lord was doing in his life. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, 7, that we are to walk by the Spirit. And when we do that, we will certainly not carry out the desires of our flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you do not do the thing that you want to do. Don't get me wrong, Tim was not perfect, and Tim would have been the first person to stand here and tell you that he was not perfect. He had flaws because he was human. But I say had flaws very intentionally, because the moment that Tim left this earth, the Bible teaches us that he saw his Lord and Savior Jesus face to face, and in that moment, he was made complete. Any pain he experienced is gone. Any flaw in his life, any imperfection, God in that moment totally restored the image of God in Tim. And Tim is now wholly, completely complete. He is laying at the feet of Jesus, and you know that he has not stopped smiling since he got there. Because Tim walked with the Lord, because Tim walked by the Spirit, he is a great example of what it looks like when the Lord produces the fruit of the Spirit in a man's life. What is the fruit? We said a couple times that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I'm not going to talk about Tim all evening, but I do want to acknowledge that Tim really was a guy that is a great picture of what it means to walk by the Spirit in our lives. When you look at love, Tim was a man that loved the Lord and was always looking for ways to grow deeper in the Lord. After Tim went to be with the Lord, I was, uh, there was a group at the hospital that was uh, just spending time with the family. And then they decided uh, a few people from their life group went over to the Shelton's house just to clean up and to prepare it so that when uh, Susan were to return home, that uh, things would just be in order and she wouldn't have to think about anything that was going on. And when they got to the house, they They went to his refrigerator, and Tim had written a message on the refrigerator for himself and a reminder to his family. It said this, God is a loving father. He knows what's best for me, and I can trust him with my life. 
That is something that Tim believed and lived out every day because Tim loved the Lord. Tim loved the Lord, but he also loved people. He loved you guys. He loved the people of his church. He loved his wife. He loved his family, his boys. And Tim was a man that saw the best in everybody around him. You look at what it means to love and how do we love people well. Tim was a great example of what it meant to notice people, to encourage people, and to love people. I could go through any of these. I'm not going to go through all of them. But you look at Joy. uh, Sam could attest. He spent more time with Tim than even I did. But Tim never seemed to have a bad day. No matter what was going on in his life, the joy of the Lord was always and directly there, right there on his face. And he was able to push through, not because of his own strength, but because of the joy of the Lord in his life. Peace, patience, kindness. As you hear people talking about memories of Tim, they all are centered around kindness and how good and kind Tim was to them. Goodness we'll talk about tonight. Faithfulness, gentleness. There was no man more gentle in our church, I don't believe, than Tim Shelton. And self-control. Tim was a disciplined man. Tim ran or rode his bike more every morning than I will in my entire life. Tim was a very physically disciplined man who was in incredible shape, but he was also a very spiritually disciplined man. Tim really took his walk with the Lord seriously, and he always sought to grow deeper in the Lord, and he did it very intentionally, and he did it very well. All those things about Tim are not true, though, because of Tim. Tim was all of those things because of the Lord. And the Lord was doing all of these things in Tim's life because Tim abided with the Lord. He walked with Jesus. And as a result, the Lord produced this fruit in Tim's life. So tonight we're going to talk about goodness And I want to walk about what does that mean? What does it mean to produce the fruit of goodness in our lives? If we're going to produce that fruit, what does it look like? What do we do? How do we do do it? There's three things I want you to see. These are very simple. One of them might be a little offensive, but that's okay because it's true. But this is what it means when we talk about goodness. The first thing is this. I am not good. Now, when I say that, I am talking about myself, but I'm also talking about you. I wrote it in that way because when, if you write that down, if you're taking notes, I want you to write those words. I am not good. Don't write Noah is not good. I saw what you're doing. (laughs) But I am not good. I'm talking to each one of us, and each one of us needs to understand that we, in and of ourselves, we are not good. And so you look at producing the fruit of goodness in our lives, it is not possible in our own strength. It is not possible based on what we have in and of ourselves. The Bible says very clearly in Psalm 53, verse 3, that all have turned away from the Lord. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The Bible says that in Romans 3, 23, that all of us have sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has a sinful nature I read this morning in Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can understand them? The Bible says that we don't understand our own hearts. And there's, there's deception and wickedness in our own hearts that tricks even us. And so we can't even trust what we think and what we know is in our heart because our heart is not to be trusted. Our heart is not good in and of itself. 
When you trust in yourself and you do what comes natural, the result will never be good. And when we invest in ourselves, when we invest in our flesh, then we will not produce the fruit of the Spirit, but we will produce the fruit of the flesh. And what does that look like? We, we read the fruit of the Spirit just a moment ago in verses 22 and 23, but in verses 19 through 21, and we've read it before, Paul gives us exactly what it looks like when we invest in our flesh. The end result of our flesh is this, Galatians 5, 19 and 20, or through 21, now the works of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a fun list to read. That's not something that we like to think of ourselves, but in reality, all of those things are inside each and every one of us. If left to ourselves, if we were to just dive into who we are and seek out our own desires, those are the types of things that will be produced in our lives. The truth is we are not good. There's a man in scripture that we've come to know as the rich young ruler. We call him that because one of the gospels calls him rich, another one calls him young, and another gospel calls him a ruler. So we put it together and he's the rich young ruler. Now, this is a guy who was very systematic and, and really tried to keep the law to the best of his ability. And he thought he was doing pretty good. He thought that he was going to be able to receive eternal life because of how well he was able to keep the law. And the Bible says that he approaches Jesus and says that as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up. He knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus did there because it was very strategic and very impactful. The rich young ruler calls Jesus good, and Jesus grabs onto that. He says, good teacher. Now, he's calling Jesus good, but what we find out in a minute is that he thinks he's good himself as well. He thinks because of all the things that he's done in his life that he doesn't have to worry about doing anything else, that he has done what he needs to do and that he himself is good. Jesus says, why are you calling me good? No one's good but God alone. Here's what Jesus is saying. Are you, saying, are you acknowledging that I'm God? If you're going to call me good and only God is good, are you willing to acknowledge that I'm God? And I think more importantly, Jesus is asking him this. Are you willing to admit that you are not? See, when we think we're good, when we think that we have what it takes, we start trusting in ourselves and we rely on ourselves. But Jesus says, no, you're not good. And the only one that's good is God alone. The truth is that we need to realize and freely acknowledge that we in and of ourselves are not good. We are a corrupt people and we cannot rely on ourselves. Now, are you encouraged? We really should be because the Lord didn't leave us like that. We'll get to that in a minute. But before we get to that, the first thing is I am not good. The second thing we'll see is this. I was created for good. Now, you are not good in and of yourself, and we have sinful natures, but God created you for good. God has good plans for you, and God has intentions for you to do good works. We are not good, but that wasn't the design. 
We talked last week how when we were created, God put the image of God inside of each and every single one of us. But when we sinned, the, the image of God got broken and distorted and, and hidden in our lives. And only God is able to restore that image. When Jesus saved you, he did it in order to restore the image of God that he had already placed inside each and every one of us. You were created for good works. The Bible says it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, for you are saved by grace through faith. That's not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of us to do. The Lord has set before you good works that were prepared long before you were on this earth. The Lord has things that he wants you to accomplish. The Lord has you here for a reason. Now, those good works do not save you, and your salvation is not dependent on how well you do those works. That's what clearly he says here. It's not of works so that no one can boast. But we are his workmanship, and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. God saved us. It had nothing to do with us. But when he saved you, he had good works in mind for you to do. The book of James says it like this, faith without works is dead. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean that, that if you don't keep up your salvation by doing good works, that your faith is going to die and you're going to lose your faith. But he's saying that if you are truly saved, then you will produce good fruit. Jesus said, we looked at it most every week, that a tree is going to be known by its fruit. Make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. In the same way, James here says that faith without works is dead. If you are truly saved, is what he's saying, then people will be able to tell by inspecting the kind of fruit that you are producing in your life. Now, what's the purpose of the good in our lives? We, were, we are not good in and of ourselves. We were created to be good, but sin has broken that image in our lives, and we are not good. But the Bible says very clearly that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were saved for good works. What's the purpose of those good works? Is it so that people can look at us and be impressed by how intelligent we are, how, how good we are at this or that? Was the purpose of the, the fruit of the Spirit in Tim Shelton's life, is it so that we could look at how, how incredibly disciplined Tim was and how well he loved and, and all this? Is, is the purpose of Tim's life to point to himself? The reality is that the purpose of the good works in our lives, the purpose of the good works that we saw in Tim's life was not for ourselves. It was to point people to the Lord and to glorify God. Listen to the words Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He says, you, you are the light of the world. A city that's on a hill, it can't be hidden. You can't hide a city that's placed in front of everybody on a hill. No, and no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and not give glory to you, not notice you, not compliment you, not talk about how good you are, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. We are God's number one plan for how he is going to let people in this world know who he is and of his love. He has works for us to do, not so people look at us, so that people will know who he is. 
We are to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that people can get a picture of who God is. That is why God created us, and that is why he said said here that we are the light of the world. God has put a light inside each one of you. When he saved you, he put a light inside of you. Don't hide it. Don't cover it up. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide behind anything. But let your light shine so that the people may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we're created for good, but we are not good. So how are we to fulfill what the Lord has given for us to do? You know, in and of ourselves, we can't do the good works. If we try, the best thing that we'll accomplish is nothing near what the Lord has for us. And it will, like we saw earlier, the fruit of the flesh looks nothing like the fruit of the Spirit. It looks nothing like the good fruit that we are called to produce. So how do we fulfill what the Lord has created us to do? It's by abiding in Christ, by walking in the Spirit. Because when we do that, the Lord is able to produce goodness in our lives. The Lord is able to produce good fruit, good works in our lives. When we walk with the Lord, our faith that we have in him is very much alive. James says faith without works is dead. Faith when we walk with Jesus is very much alive and active and it is producing much fruit. But how is the Lord able to do that? Very simply, number three, the Lord is good. The only way that we are able to produce the fruit of goodness in our lives is to be connected to the vine, to the Lord. You see, you're not good, but God wants you to do good and to, he created you and saved you for good. But the only way that that can be realized and actualized is through the Lord, because that is who he is. The Lord is goodness. See, you're not good. I'm not good. There's no goodness truly in us. But when we walk with the Lord, he produces goodness in us. We see all over scripture, I'll just pull three verses here. Psalm 145, verse 9, that the Lord is good to everyone, not just the people that follow him, not just to the the ones that, that love him and do what he says. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he has made. The Bible says also that the Lord brings the rain and lets the sun shine on the just and the unjust. See, the Lord is good to every single one of us because we are breathing, we're alive, we have his life in our lungs. And the fact that we are alive is the grace of God. He doesn't have to let us live. He doesn't have to let us borrow his oxygen, but he's good to everyone. Psalm 34, 8, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So you don't believe it? Just try them. You will never go back. Taste and see. Truly, if you really get to know who the Lord is, you will see that he is good. And how happy is the person that takes refuge in the Lord. Nahum 1.7 says that the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Now, if we can be honest for a minute, we talk about the Lord being good. And many of us intellectually know that. We know the fact and we may say the Lord is good and we can write that down and we can, we can say it at church. But in weeks like this, when a man like Tim Shelton dies, sometimes it's a little harder to see than other times. Sometimes you, you question why the Lord would allow something. If the Lord really is all-powerful, if the Lord is good, why would he not have saved 
Tim. See, in reality, we don't understand why the Lord took Tim in what appears to us as way too early. Tim was 53 years old, had a lot of life ahead of him, had five boys who we would say needed their daddy. And when we look at a situation like this and when we walk through it as a church, we have to answer the question, do we really believe the Lord is good? It's in these moments, it's one thing to be on the mountaintop and and everything being great in our lives, but in these moments of darkness and tragedy, do we really know that the Lord is good? When I was at the hospital and I watched his wife and his boys grieving the loss of Tim, it's a question I have to ask myself. Do I really believe that the Lord is good? Not just sometimes, Not do I just believe that he does good. Do I believe that at the core, the Lord is good? I think we all ask ourselves these questions sometimes, whether we we verbalize it like that or not exactly. Sometimes we struggle with how we face tragedy in our lives as Christians and how it's supposed to affect our faith. The Lord kept bringing me back to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. He says, my thoughts... They're not your thoughts. Your ways, those certainly are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, when we reach a situation and we we are faced with the the finality of death on this earth and it just feels unnatural and like it's not supposed to be this way, do you know why that is? Because it is unnatural and it's not supposed to be that way. God did not create us for death. And it hurts when we experience death, but it's supposed to because it's not the way it's supposed to be. God did not create us for death. That came with sin in this world. But the question is, is, am I willing to not understand why God did something and still be willing to say that he is good? when I acknowledge that his ways are higher than my ways, if I truly believe that his ways are higher than my ways, then I can believe that God is good in the midst of tragedy. Are we going to choose to remind ourselves and those around us that he really is good? Because in reality, we have a choice. When we face tragedy as a church and in our lives and in our families, we have a choice. Are we going to choose to believe that God is good even when we don't see it? Or are we going to choose to trust in our flesh? The Lord, the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. But I'm going to tell you that they're not just higher, they're better. See, God did not design Tim originally with death in mind. In fact, from God's perspective, Tim did not die. You see, Tim is a whole lot more alive than any of us are in this room. And when we see things from God's perspective, we can really understand that God is good. But the problem is that we usually can't see things from God's perspective because his ways are so much different than our ways. All throughout the Old Testament, whenever the Lord would do something big for Israel, which happened a lot, he would always tell them to set up a memorial, to set up a a remembrance so that they could remember what the Lord had done for them. Now, I could pull example from pretty much all over scripture. I pulled one from when the Israelites were about to cross over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And the Lord split the 
the river and allowed them to walk through and enter the land that they were promised to them. And the Bible says that God told them, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. And each of you is to lift up a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? Why do we have these stones? You should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant when it crossed the Jordan. The Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. Why does God do that? Because he knows that two, three weeks later, they were going to forget about this. They were going to move on. There was going to be something else. They are maybe going to be facing a war in, in Jericho. They're facing this great wall and this people, and they don't know if they're going to be able to win. They needed to have those stones of remembrance in their lives to remember that, you know, the Lord really is good. The Lord has done good for us, and he is good, and he will do good for us. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? That's what scripture says. Are you leaving a legacy around you that tells people that the Lord is good? Do you remember that he's good? Do do your children and your grandchildren, when they spend time with you, do they walk away more encouraged by the fact that the Lord is good? You know, we don't do this very often. We We don't build these memorials and carry these big stones around when God does something good for us, but it really would do us a lot of good to have these remembrances of what the Lord has done for us. We could pass a mic around. We're not going to do it tonight, but we could pass a mic around and, and you may not think you'd have something to share at first, but if the Lord has done anything good for you, and he has, if you think about what the Lord has done for you in your life, you would have many things to share. And we as Christians are to remind ourselves and to remind each other and to pass on to our children and to our grandchildren how good the Lord is to each one of us. Because the truth is we need to be reminded. And the people that are not here today need to be reminded of how good the Lord is and be told the story of how he delivered us and how he provided for each and every one of us. The Lord really is good. David wrote in Psalm 37, he says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. David reminded himself and those around him, hey, I've been young. I've I've had good times. I've had bad times. I've seen it all. But through it all, I can draw a consistent line in the fact that the Lord is good. He has not abandoned his children. He has not let the righteous be abandoned or his children left begging for bread. One more example we see in Scripture is a man named Job. Now, many of you know know the story of Job, but he was a righteous man. The Bible says that Job experienced enormous loss. He lost pretty much everything that he owned and lost his 10 children in disaster after disaster, back to back to back, all within one day. As soon as one person would finish telling him about the loss of his cattle, somebody else would come and tell him the loss of this and this, and the house where your children were collapsed, and they're all all dead, and all your your workers and all all the people in your community, they're all dead, back to back. And he just kept receiving it, receiving it, receiving it. What was the great sin 
that Job committed to receive that in his life? The Bible says it was nothing. The Bible says that the enemy brought that upon him because he loved and he honored the Lord. So Job had not done anything wrong. The Bible says God said that he was blameless in this situation. Yet he experienced immense tragedy. When he got told of the last disaster and that his children had died, the Bible says that Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head in mourning. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Why was Job able to say that? Why was Job able to do that? Because he knew who the Lord was. He knew the Lord was good. And he knew that he himself had nothing to offer and and that it was ultimately only through the Lord that he had any of the good in his life. He said, I came here with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Either way, blessed be his good, good name. When the doctor on Sunday went into the hospital room and officially pronounced that Tim had gone to be with the Lord, Drew Tucker, our associate pastor, was with the family at the time, and he said that Susan, Tim's wife, wept and mourned the loss of her husband. But then she stood up. She told her oldest son to get a Bible and to read from a certain psalm, and she got Tim's phone and played two songs from his playlist on his phone. And the entire times had her hands up in worship and sang the entire song. Moments after being told of the loss of her husband, the darkest moment of her life, she worshiped the Lord. Why is that? Because Susan understood in that moment that the Lord really is good. Do you know the Lord is good? Do you believe it? Do you act like it? Do you complain too much? Do you maybe dwell too much on the the things that didn't go quite right but forget and ignore all the good things that the Lord has done in your life? This week, well, in general, when I I worship the Lord, I I love to pull up my phone and play songs and Charity Gale and some of these great worship leaders and worship along. This week, the Lord has led me to my piano and has led me and and my family to, to sing songs and worship the Lord, especially with my oldest son and with my wife. One of the songs the Lord continually brought me to this week was the goodness of God. It says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. <clears throat> 